You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to see you this morning. Or, well, I guess it's good to be seen. (laughs) I can't see you, but we do know you're there. Now we are in our third week of spring cleaning. And today we're going to be looking at the debris that's in our lives that we can clear out to make room for Jesus. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, this day, um, it's another beautiful day here in Southwest Florida Day where we're experiencing the beauty of your creation and of nature. We do pray, though, Lord, in our area and in our time, that you would do the cleaning work that you want to do. And using even this pandemic in ways uh, to bring about a renewal and refinement of your church and your people, and to move more and more people to understand their need for you, their love, their, their love that they need from you, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the life that they can have in your name, dear Jesus. We pray for all the frontline workers, whether they are in essential duties uh, and have not gotten much attention before or not, for uh, those who are from the grocery stores into the sanitation workers, the nurses, the doctors, the physicians, the first responders. Lord God, you know them all. We lift up to you as well, Lord, um, all the small businesses that are hurting and trying to figure out the way forward, all those who are unemployed in our midst right now and how they're struggling with their finances. Lord God, we lift up our governmental leaders, both here locally, throughout our state and our nation, Lord, that you give them wisdom and insight and a spirit of humility and of seeking you and your will rather than their own ways. Lord God, we um, pray that you would be working through this time that your kingdom grows and is extended. And in our lives, Lord God, that you would be doing your work the way that you want in your own ways. All this we lift up to you in Jesus' name today. Amen. So like I said, we're in our third week of this series, Spring Cleaning, Making Room for Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about how to clean out the gunk of chronic guilt, okay? The fact that you just sometimes feel guilty all the time for no apparent reason, okay? Now, you might go like, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to feel guilt? Well, yes and no, and we'll get through that. But let's look right now at our Bible passage, which is coming from Hebrews chapter 10. And it reads, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin... He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
chronic guilt because I think many people have this nagging sense that something is wrong, they're not quite sure what, but they're just always guilty. Franz Kafka um, wrote a small short story called The Trial years ago, and in it, a man named Joseph on his 30th birthday is unexpectedly arrested by two unidentified agents from an unspecified agency for an unspecified crime, but he is not put in jail. He is released on bail, free and told to await further instructions from the Committee of Affairs, whatever that means. And throughout the next year, Joseph just has this lingering cloud of guilt hanging over him. Ambiguous, chronic guilt. He's not quite sure what it is or what it's about. You've ever felt that way? Now, I'm not advocating in this sermon that you never feel guilty about anything. No, guilt can be a good thing. When I've done something that's harmful to myself, to others, destructive or defiant toward God. Now, that's called a sin of commission because I've committed something or thought something, did something. Guilt can be good. And it can also be good when I haven't done what I should have done for someone. That's called a sin of omission. I've omitted doing it, and guilt can come in. And the sin of omission comes in. But guilt brings me back, in either of those circumstances, to my moral center and standing. And it points me to a solution outside of myself, not from within myself. And if I never felt any guilt, well, that itself would be a form of pathology and a truly hard heart. You know, uh, John wrote in his first letter, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I have sinned, either by doing something I shouldn't have done or I didn't do something I could have or should have done. The normal pattern for the Christian life is that I then confess my sin, have it forgiven by God, and then live within that forgiveness, guilt gone. But when people have unresolved feelings of guilt that linger after they have confessed their sins. It haunts them like some vague accusation, like a Kafka-esque story. It colors everything that they do. Every smell feels tainted, smells tainted. Every tastes bitter. Every feeling is broken. Everything looks crooked to them. They can't get over the feeling that there's just something wrong, plain wrong, that never changes. They're under this cloud of guilt, chronic guilt. Now, that itself is never promoted in the Bible. In fact, Paul puts it this way in his letter to 2 Corinthians. He says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You hear that? Without any regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. That's what we're talking about today. And we're going to look at these two points. What is behind this chronic guilt, or as Paul says it here, you know, worldly grief. And then the second point, how to clean out this chronic guilt. 
what's behind chronic guilt. And I think, honestly, there is some truth. We are guilty. We have done things that are wrong. And there is that truth, but there's also a lie. Better yet, I think there's more than one lie that also lies behind my feelings when I have them of chronic guiltiness. And we're going to explore those right now. So the truth is, yes, I have fallen short of God's glory. I have done things that are wrong. And I'm never, as a Christian, even beyond sinning any day of the week. I'm still doing things that are self-centered and self-focused and selfish and harmful to others and defiant of God. I don't stop sinning because I become a Christian. So there is a need to repent and confess and receive forgiveness. That's all true. But I live in that forgiveness like a fish lives in water. It's always there. It was the early church father, Tertullian, that said that Christians are like little fishes that swim in the waters of their baptism, where they're immersed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, no matter where they are. You know, in fact, the early church symbol he used um, for Jesus Christ and for what Jesus did was the sign of the fish, which in Greek is the word ichthus. And you can see here those letters, yoda, chi, theta, upsilon, and sigma, spell ichthus, but they were used as an anacronym that each one of them stood for a word, Jesus, Jesus, Christos, Theos, Huios, Soter, which is in Greek, in English, it's Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And that's what we're supposed to be like, a fish in the water, Tertullian said. In fact, this is what the quote is. But we, little fishes, after the example of our ichthus, Jesus Christ, are born in water, nor have we safety in any other way than permanently abiding in water. You're swimming in the ocean of God's grace. So don't jump out of the water. That's what Tertullian would say. So the truth is I'm guilty before God, but the greater truth is I'm swimming in God's forgiveness at any given time, no matter what. Martin Luther, uh, the reformer about 500 years ago in Europe of the church at that time, coined a phrase or used a phrase to describe the Christian life. And uh, it was a Latin phrase that says this, simul justus et peccator, that is simultaneously justified and a sinner at the same time. And he was trying to point the fact that no matter what, we are always under God's justification, forgiveness, and grace. And that's how we live, not under chronic guilt, because then we're only looking at half of the issue. And so that's what happens. Sometimes I only see that half of the issue, my sin before me. And then my sins start to lie to me because I'm just focused on them. And Satan himself, that name means accuser. He is the father of lies. He will accuse me of sins that I've already confessed and I've already received forgiveness for. He lies. And sometimes I believe those lies. And I think there are three lies he really tries to push at us to keep us in a state of chronic guilt. Lie number one, if I guilt myself enough, then I will never do what I just did again. 
Have you ever felt that way? Ever thought that? Somehow we think we might just punish ourselves enough, guilt ourselves enough, feel bad and remorseful enough so that whatever we just did or thought will be so repulsive to us we'll never do it again. And the truth is you can't beat yourself up enough to stop you from doing it. Now, I've known people who've tried. In fact, there were monks in the Middle Ages that physically beat themselves, self-flagellated themselves, in order to try to overcome their sins, and it didn't work. No physical punishment, no psychological punishment will do that. Paul himself said hundreds of years before the Middle Ages, back in the, this uh, book of Galatians, that the law of trying to beat yourself up with the rules of God will never stop you from sinning and does not bring about justification. He said in Galatians 2, by works of the law, no one will be justified. You just can't do that. It doesn't work. The second time he says it again, he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit that is in the gospel of receiving the forgiveness, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you actually bringing that about? No. It's a lie that you can guilt yourself and to keep doing the same thing. In fact, here's the reality. Maud Purcell, a licensed social worker, wrote very well this. Self-flagellation about a previous wrong only increases the chance you will make the same mistake again. Intense recrimination over wrongdoing may make you feel absolved of the guilt. This sense of absolution almost gives you permission to do the same thing all over again. Illogical but true. So trying to punish yourself or guilt yourself to stop doing something actually will probably automatically make sure you do it again. So that's a lie. Lie number two, if I feel guilty, I'm suffering and paying for my sin, making up for what I did. Now, somehow we think that, you know, if I've done something wrong against uh, my spouse or my children, and then I need to show remorse. And so I've got to mope around the house and be down on myself and keep telling myself and telling them how bad I was. And so somehow that'll make up for the fact. And they will be more likely to forgive me because they see that I'm punishing myself for what I did. That I can make up for the stupid thing I did and it's just more stupid. <laughs> yeah. And especially when it comes to God. Hebrews here in chapter 10 addresses this. He says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. When you are trying to, quote, Make up for, pay for, guilt yourself, suffer for the things that you did wrong. What you're doing is acting like one of those Old Testament priests that keeps making a sacrifice and making a sacrifice. Hopefully this time it will pay the price and it never does. You cannot make up for your sins. Do you know what the definition of crazy is, right? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's exactly what you're doing when you think, if I just suffer more for what I just did, then I'm making up and it doesn't work. 
And in fact, not only that, when Christ has offered the ultimate sacrifice, paid the full price completely and perfectly upon the cross, and then you think you still need to kind of like sacrifice a little, suffer a little for what you've done wrong in order to make, you're taking away the glory of that crucifixion and of that death and of that sacrifice that Jesus made. His sacrifice is once and for all and stops all of that sacrificial understanding on our part. Now, remorse might be a good thing, but chronic remorse, self-punishment, guilting yourself chronically is one way that you're buying into a lie from the father of lies, that you have to, that you can make up for your sins, that you can somehow pay for your wrongs. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But you might be going like, but John, if, um, it just seems like your attitude is just too carefree about those sins. I mean, I'm scared that if I think the way that you're thinking and I don't do this, then I will just even sin even more. And your advice, John, just doesn't work. I'm afraid of that. First of all, I want to tell you, I'm not giving you advice. The Bible is not full of good advice. It's full of good news. What I'm talking about here is the gospel good news of the reality of Jesus Christ. And if you think you're scared that you'll do even more sins if you don't guilt yourself, then you are buying into a third lie. And that is, if I am feeling guilty, I know I'm taking my sins seriously. That, I believe, is what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. And the Pharisees thought they had to take their sins seriously and make up for them. And then they saw this Jesus coming along and he is eating with sinners and tax collectors and all these people who are breaking the law and he is dishing out and doling out forgiveness freely and like indiscriminately. And like even before some of those people even repented, he offered it to them. And it's like, what is he doing? And Jesus would respond to them and say, Pharisees, you think you're taking your sin seriously? No. You're not taking it seriously enough because you think you can piecemeal it together. You think you can accomplish it. You think you can still overcome it. You think you can handle it. You can't handle it. You cannot handle that. It's not doable. Even chopping it up into little bits and trying to do this and do that thing and that thing and that thing, you are not making any progress against it at all. The truth is, you can't handle the sin. You still have to focus on yourself when you're doing that. And that's the problem in the first place. Chronic guilt just makes you more self-centered about yourself in a negative way. I might be looking at myself and my sin and sort of taking it seriously, but my problem is I'm still just looking at myself and it, I'm not looking to God. So these are the three lies. And I'm sure there are more. That we believe that when we're chronically guilty and guilting ourselves, that we're buying into. We're kind of remain on that hamster wheel of religion trying to get ahead and never getting anywhere. We never really then get beyond our self-centered guilt. And all we're doing is trying to find different techniques to remove that guilt and staying self-centered all the way along.
So that's what's behind our chronic guilt. Instead, God doesn't want us to live in the cage of our own guilt. He wants to be swimming freely in the ocean of his grace and understanding how we live, breathe, eat, swim, relish, and are bathed in that grace at all times. So how do we get rid of chronic guilt? And I think we need to do three things, A, B, and C, that we're going to lead through right now. The first is we need to first see the truly guilty one, and that is Jesus. That is what he did upon the cross. He took the guilt of the whole world upon himself. And that's how Hebrews says it in Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you understand the full depth of that passage? One offering for all time perfect all of us who are in Christ. And Hebrews goes on, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You know, the difference between Christianity and all the other world religions is right here at this point. Other religions will say you have to pay a price for the wrongs that you've done. You've got to make up for them. You've got to improve yourself. You've got to change yourself. You've got to work on yourself. You've got to show yourself to be worthy of the forgiveness you might get, that you have to do something to earn it in some form, to try to make something of yourself, to try to at least be sincere about it, to try to guilt yourself in some way so that you're open to it. And Christianity says that's the problem in the first place. You think you can handle it, that you have to handle it. And Jesus says, I've taken it all. I've handled it for you once and for all. Jesus offers himself as our substitute. No more suffering, none at all. No more sacrifice, none at all. It's already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. Mark Helm wrote a book I read a couple years ago called Saved from Sacrifice. We don't need to scapegoat others, and we don't need to be the scapegoat ourselves because we have one, Jesus. And in it, he says this, Christians say the cross is a sacrifice. Yes, it is. To end all sacrifice, period. When you see Jesus' ultimate sacrifice upon the cross, that is not just a human being there, but God himself in the flesh, paying the sins of the world, taking all of the death upon himself, becoming sin in our place, taking it all away so there is no more to pay. Like the book of Hebrews says, there is no longer a sacrifice for sin. It is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. It is paid in full. There is nothing to do. And you go like, yeah, I get it, John. I've heard that before, but somehow I still feel guilty. And I think that's where our second point is here. B, you got to realize your feelings can lie to you. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's so. You know, I might feel kind of insecure right now, and I might also feel weak. And it might be true, and it might not be true. Haven't you ever felt certain things and you have no idea why you felt them and you wondered, are they real or not? And somehow we know that if we would follow our feelings in a lot of parts of life, it just doesn't work. For instance, if I followed my feelings, I probably wouldn't get out of bed when I do and get work done that I do. I'd probably just, because I don't feel like getting out of bed, stay there way too long. Or I... Uh, 
wouldn't get done with all that tedious paperwork I still need to do as part of my job. Or because I didn't feel like it, I probably missed many opportunities to do good things in this world and serve others because it just doesn't feel good or feel right at the time. We all somehow know that you can't follow your feelings all the time. And when you do, your life falls apart. But somehow we think if we feel guilty, it must be real. But you have to understand that if you still feel guilty after you have confessed your sins to God, after you've already repaired things or uh, asked, said you are sorry to the one you might have harmed, and you still feel guilty, this is not real and it's not coming from God. And your heart is condemning you when God does not. And this is why in the letter of 1 John, John says this, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Do you get it? Let God be greater than your feelings of guilt. Let God be greater than all of your feelings. Let your feelings follow the promises of God and the reality of the cross, not the other way around. Let your faith be following the promises of God and not your feelings. Let your feelings lag behind your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Well, John, how, when I'm conflicted about this and I've got this going, how do I do that? I think we need to daily confess, not just oh, my guilt. No, daily confess the promises of God, the truth about your forgiveness. You've got to live by God's promises. You got to preach to yourself when your feelings talk, are talking to yourself something differently. And that's where memorizing some scriptures can be very helpful. Last summer, I believe it was July through August, we went through uh, the chapter Romans 8, one of the greatest chapters of the Bible because it's filled with God's promises and goodness and grace and probably something you and I can use right now. And the first line, it's not a hard one to memorize, the first verse, Romans 8, 1, is a good one to say to yourself, on a daily basis. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you preach to yourself God's promise and you don't listen to your feelings on that matter. And I can say then back about this verse, God, you do not condemn me. No one can condemn me because you have freed me. There is no condemnation. I am in Christ Jesus. Boom, done, finished. Every time guilt comes back to try to hound me, it's time to preach the gospel to myself and share God's promises. And I believe probably the one who needed to do it more than any is St. Paul himself. Paul was, had been a persecutor of the church. Paul had ridiculed Jesus. He had tr thrown uh, Christians into prison. He may have even, he condoned their deaths. And I'm sure that haunted him time and again after his conversion. But this is what he says in 1 Timothy. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And if Paul can say that, you can say that I can say that. I might be chief of sinners in my own way. But Jesus came exactly for me. 
to save me. And that is deserving full acceptance by me. And Hebrews says it this way, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And if God does not remember them, I don't need to keep bringing them up. They're gone. They don't exist once they are out of God's memory. Where there is no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews also says there is no longer any offering for sin. There is nothing I need to do. Nothing at all I need to experience. The forgiveness has been done and accomplished, and it doesn't even exist anymore in God's memory. Now, I mentioned Martin Luther towards the beginning that he used this Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. I know it's Latin and all that stuff. He was a reformer of the church. He was kind of blunt at some times, but a very pastoral individual living 500 years ago in Europe. And he had met at one time, I believe, a, someone who was really, really troubled in conscience about his own sin and the fact that today I'm probably going to sin again and it's going to be terrible and I just don't know what to do about it and anxious about it and guilting himself over his sin and felt like he couldn't stop. And Luther looked at this individual and I think was very pastoral and it's something that a lot of people have remembered him saying. He said this, sin boldly but believe even more boldly. Now, he wasn't saying, go out and find a good sin to do. <laughs> no. But he was saying, realize, don't worry about it. That's not the issue. Yes, go out and live. Live under the confidence that God has forgiven you. So yes, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make, say stupid things. Confess those. That's fine. But don't get hung up on that. But rather, believe God's promises even more. Because God has forgiven you more sins than you've ever got or that you could ever do. He has forgiven the sins of the entire world infinitely more. You are that little fish swimming in the ocean of God's grace. That's how we live even while we are still sinners. And that's how we get rid of this whole feeling of this cloud of chronic gray, uh, guilt that is oh, so often plaguing what I've seen in Christian lives. It's gone. It gets dissipated by the light and the goodness of God's mercy and truth in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And um, I guess there's no prayer requests this morning again. Hey, guys. Um, I will be praying this morning, though, for um, Lori and Tom Hay. Lori's mother passed away this week. Ruth at the age of 91, and um, we just want to lift them up in their comfort and peace this day. Um, it's been um, the last few weeks, uh, Ruth was at home with them at their house, and they were caring for them. Hospice, thankfully, was involved, but it was just a tough, tough struggle towards the end. Thankfully, they know Ruth is at peace. She has the victory in Jesus Christ. The battle has been won and completed. The fight is over. Um, she is now with Jesus, and we are thankful for that. Uh, we're thankful for the faith that she expressed many times. We will miss her, but we will see her again. Glorious, resurrected, a beauty to behold as Jesus has intended. We're also going to lift up Andy Blankenship, who... Um, her cancer came back, the cancer of the tongue she had surgery for, but this week she will start immunotherapy for it, and we are praying for effective healing throughout.
Um, we'll lift up as well Zoe Hasni, who is within the next couple of weeks, I believe. I think it's May 20th uh, is her due date. Uh, we don't know the name or the gender right now. They, they, I think, have it in their mind what it's going to be. I think we've said Epaphroditus was a name or Epaphroditus, whatever way you want to say it, but I don't, they picked up on that one. So let's pray for Zoe and her pregnancy. Um, let's pray for, for us, just that chronic guilt is gone. It's cleaned out. There's room for the gospel in our lives. Will you please pray with me? Lord God, thank you for this day, for this time in worship, for um, the message from the book of Hebrews that once and for all you have died for the sins of the whole world. There is no longer a sacrifice for sin. We thank you for that, Lord God. Fill us, Lord, with the truth and the promise of your gospel, knowing it's through the gospel that our lives are changed and transformed. It's through trusting in your goodness in our lives that stops us from continuing to the cycles of sin in our lives, not from beating ourselves over the head, not from trying to take our sins seriously. Um, let us take our sin so seriously that we leave it at the cross where it belongs, never to take it back again. It's the only place it belongs, Lord Jesus, and thank you for taking it all. So Lord, clear us of that chronic guilt, and when that comes back to haunt us at times, bring Holy Spirit to our remembrance promises of your grace and mercy, like that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. No condemnation. Lord, we thank you for the victory that is ours and for the victory that Ruth has now experienced through her death, Lord, she will be raised to new life. She is with you, Lord Jesus, right now. She is at peace, at rest. The fight is over. We pray for Tom and Lori and the whole family that you give them comfort and rest. I know it's been a real tough struggle over the last few weeks caring for Ruth. And now, Laura, just let them be at peace and at rest in you. Give them wisdom as to know how to proceed and um, what to do in the days ahead during this pandemic and how to, uh, you know, have a memorial service at the right time with family and friends or whatever way you intend, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the immunotherapy that Andy will start this week. We pray, Lord God, that it be so effective that in just a few weeks' time, we will be able to rejoice in how you have worked through this, Lord God. And uh, we just commend her into your care this day. Uh, we lift up to you, Zoe, Lord, in just these last few weeks, Lord, that you keep both um, Zoe and James safe, but this child safe too, Lord, and bring about just a glorious time for them all uh, through the birth of this child, Lord. And may he, she, <laughs> who, <laughs> whichever it is, Lord, be yours fully and completely. Um, Lord, into your care we place ourselves this day. In the weeks ahead, as more things start to open, we pray for your wisdom, Lord, in our society, that we don't leapfrog over wisdom to just do what is impulsive to us, but rather, Lord, that we seek your will and walk in harmony with your ways. So bless both our local leadership and our state leadership, our national leadership, Lord, 
in these matters. Give us all your humility and wisdom, conscious of the needs of others rather than just our own needs. And in that light, Lord God, we just want to as well um, pray together as one people across the miles uh, in different states and at different ways um, that are gathered together right now, Lord, in the one prayer you taught us, Lord Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you again for being with us here at Thrive for our series on spring cleaning. If you have a chance still to fill out a connection card, we'd love to connect with you and serve you in any way. Um, remember the things coming up this week. Um, they'll be in our newsletter again. Uh, now, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.